I'm Mark Sweeney, and in this episode of I'm the Gun, I'll be taking a look back at Valkyrie, a three-issue miniseries published by Eclipse Comics back in 1987. This series starred Valkyrie, a character from the Airboy stable of characters, originally published by Hillman Comics during the Golden Age. Valkyrie is a bit of a femme fatale, an ex-Nazi fighter ace who, through the love of teen pilot Airboy, learned the error of her fascist ways and ended up fighting for the Allies before fading into obscurity with the rest of Hillman's characters by the early 1950s. And there those characters remained until Eclipse Comics and writers Chuck Dixon and Timothy Truman saw the Airboy cast potential and launched a pretty successful reintroduction of the Hillman aviation heroes in the, in the mid-1980s. Now I've been on something of a, an Eclipse reading binge started sometime a few months ago with uh, Ms. Tree by Max Allen Collins and Terry Beatty. I really enjoyed that series, and I'm still looking for a way to uh, work her into the podcast. I also enjoyed the stuff Mark Evanier did for Eclipse, especially Crossfire. And uh, from there, I just kind of surfed all the great-looking house ads in those mid-'80s comics, and I've since devoured runs of Aztec Ace... Miracle Man, Airboy, plus that title's various spin-offs, uh, among some other things. I've been itching for a while to bring Omni Gun back f- full circle a little bit and uh, talk about an aviation character. The whole thing, I mean, I'm the Gun, started out recapping Balloon Buster stories just because. <laughs> And my recent enjoyment of the Valkyrie miniseries is a perfect excuse to bring uh, aviation back to I'm the Gun. Now, I'm no aviation nut by any means, and I can't tell the difference between different jets and planes that characters pilot, but I have always had a thing for pilot-type characters. They always seem so cool, whether it was Steve Savage the Balloon Buster, Hal Jordan, Johnny Cloud, Larry Trainer or Valkyrie herself. Pilots with their nerves of steel were always the always made for great comics characters, I thought. They seemed to handle themselves equally well in the air, on the ground, picking up the ladies, or the airboys, or whatever. They, just by the nature of their occupation, represent an ideal of courage and fearlessness that I've always admired. So anyway, in this episode, I'll be recapping Val's three-issue mini, which was actually collected in trade paperback back in the day, before being collected in trade was the integral part of comics publishing that it is today. It's a good read that I think should be taken in in one sitting, which is why I don't want to chop this up into three episodes. I think the mini should be considered together as a whole, as most miniseries should be considered. Uh, but I'll still strive to get you out of here in about 30 minutes. The series, collected as Valkyrie, Prisoner of the Past, was written by Chuck Dixon, who wrote pretty much all the Airboy-related material for Eclipse in the mid-80s, including uh, just about all 50 issues of the main title, plus two Valkyrie miniseries, a Skywolf mini. Skywolf was another golden oldie aviator from Hillman Comics that Eclipse acquired, and a handful of uh, one-shot spin-offs. Quite an impressive run. I'm I'm definitely more of a DC Comics fan than of any other publisher. Uh, and I know Chuck Dixon has done quite a bit of work for DC, but I honestly haven't read much of his D 
DC output. I know he's had some pretty impressive runs on Robin and the like, which would actually put his 50 or so issues at Airboy to shame, but, but these are huge blind spots in my DC experience. The Valkyrie series was illustrated by Paul Gulacy and Willie Bleiberg. Gulacy has a reputation as, uh, among other things, a top-notch good girl artist, which seems to make his art a perfect fit for a Valkyrie series. Gulacy's art had previously appeared on Om the Gun when I covered the Shanna the She-Devil serial that Gulacy illustrated in from Marvel Comics Presents. I like the Gulacy-Bleiberg team on this story. I've always appreciated the flatness of Gulacy's art. It's always had a distinct 2D designy feel, which I can see that sometimes it lacks in dynamism, but it more than makes up for it with beautiful, well-designed panel compositions. The rest of the creative team is Mindy Eisman on letters, Sam Parsons doing the colors, and it's edited by Eclipse Editor-in-Chief Kat Ironwood. And just for the tiniest bit of background, Valkyrie is a raven-haired beauty, former Nazi ace, as I said, found herself at odds with the young American pilot Airboy. But all it took was one kiss from Davy Nelson II for Val to suddenly change sides, and Val and Airboy shared a few adventures side by side in the mid to late 40s. So back then, I guess she wasn't exactly the poster lady for feminism, but things would get better by the 80s. At the time of the mid-80s revival, we find Davy Nelson, the original Airboy, an older gentleman, and according to his young son, Davy Nelson III, who looks exactly like him, he's a shell of his former self. He hadn't been the same since the disappearance decades previous of his true love, Valkyrie, who we learn has been kept in suspended animation for 40 years by Airboy's deadliest enemy, the ghoulish Misery. In the first issue of the Airboy series... Davy Nelson is killed, so it's up to Earboy Jr. and friends to rescue Valkyrie. Which they do, but this poses a problem for Val. She's a, a young woman, or at least appears to be. But decades are moved from her place in time. What's a girl to do? Well, naturally, she accepts a modeling contract and has action-packed shoot-em-up adventures. And that's where we find Val at the beginning of her series. In the first issue, called Exposure, we see Valkyrie returning from a retail therapy session with her friend Marlena. Two ladies are attacked by a group of muggers. One of them has a visor, which makes him look like a street punk right out of The Dark Knight Returns. These toughs don't amount to much of a threat for Val. In fact, the hardest part of the fight seems to be keeping her breasts inside her loose-top dress. This show of uh, public resistance... To the mugging is caught on camera by a news crew, and the following story turns Val into something of a news celebrity. And this, in turn, brings her to the attention of René Saint-Robert, a name Val doesn't recognize, so it's up to Marlena to tell her that he's only the world's top modeling agent. He pops in on Val and Marlena in Val's New York apartment with a contract, which Saint-Robert says is worth millions and Val must sign it because we see in a nice six-panel montage that her face in the coming weeks shows up on the cover of Vogue on the newsstand, Cosmo at the salon, and The Inquirer at the supermarket. We even see a copy of Time magazine in the hands of Airboy where Val's the cover story. 
Unfortunately, this exposure brings Valkyrie to the attention of a clerk at KGB headquarters, whose only job it's been for the last 40 years has been to scan Western magazines for potential intelligence. He can't believe that this is the same Valkyrie that shows up on the cover of the current Vanity Fair, who he also sees in a 40-year-old file photo of a, the Nazi ace receiving a commendation from Hitler himself. Now, this information finds its way into the hands of Steel Fox, a real nasty piece of work who's been overseeing the slaughter of some Afghani rebels outside of Kabul. Steel Fox is an appropriately attired 80s villain in a Soviet military uniform, but with a metal plate covering his head from cheekbones to forehead. And of course, this plate has an impressive array of spikes on it. His hand, coolly holding a cigarette, seems to be made of metal too. He also seems to have a real mat on for Valkyrie, but questions how this young woman could possibly be the same, quote, Nazi she-wolf who's wanted for war crimes against the Soviet people. He seems to desperately want it to be the same woman, but he admits that some physical evidence will need to be collected, just to be sure. We next see Val at a photo shoot, where between shots an assistant provides Valkyrie with a cool drink of water, but the way he collects her glass pretty much tips us off that he's not who he appears to be. He's sweating profusely, and the manner in which he grabs the glass, pulling it away with two fingers, is odd. There's no time for Val to register anything out of the ordinary here, as she's approached by the shady-looking publisher of Rascal Magazine, who'd like Val to uh, appear in the pages of his magazine sans clothing. Her only answer is a fist to the face, breaking the guy's nose. Next we see a Holiday Inn where the Marquis says that the TTS Blues Band is playing, which makes me wonder if that stands for Tim Truman's Blues Band. Inside, Steel Fox and some associates study the fingerprint information taken from Valkyrie's glass and see that it's a, an exact match from the old SS files they have. Inside Valkyrie's lush New York pad, she and Marlena have a confusing discussion about a Cary Grant movie that's on TV. I love Cary Grant, but the little dialogue blurb, I, I can't pick out which movie it is. It might be The Bachelor and the Bobby Soxer. Uh, but anyway, Val talks about uh, remembering seeing the film in the theater for the first time, and Marlena, who's not quite privy to Val's missing 40 years, doesn't quite get what she's talking about. A buzz at the door is answered by Marlena, but the uninvited guests happen to be Soviet agents who bust down the door and, and tase Marlena. Zzz. Valkyrie's ready for them, as her apartment has something of a hidden armory. Shotgun in hand, she tells the intruder she isn't happy that this is the third time her apartment door has been broken down. And she's right. Val's apartment getting broken into had become a kind of thing over in the Airboy title. Val fires a few shells after a scattered crowd of goons, and this exchange is witnessed outside by Steel Fox, who's ready to intercede. And he swoops in on a bat-shaped hang glider. 
Just as Val's about to call the authorities to round up these intruders, Steel Fox smashes through a window with the glider and strikes a sinister pose over the prone Valkyrie, claiming unconvincingly that her trial in the Soviet Union will be a fair one as the issue ends. I love that panel of Steel Fox crashing through, and it's a great example of what I like about Gulacy's art, actually. It's a striking design, especially coupled with the facing splash page of the triumphant Steel Fox. But the, the crashing panel actually seems a little static, despite the action of a man crashing through a window with a bat-shaped hang glider. Uh, it's such a great composition, though, with rows of diagonal lines as the window explodes in, and great sound effects lettering, smash. The lettering, the composition, it kind of all works together. Uh, kind of the opposite of something you'd find by, I don't know who was huge at this time, John Byrne. If he drew this scene, you wouldn't need the sound effect. The reader would hear that crash, but Gulacy's art is different. It holds a kind of quiet power that's just, just as effective. A cool feature of these issues is a pinup section on the back, and I can't think of character more suited to a pinup section on the back than Valkyrie. Uh, each issue had three images done by a variety of artists. The first issue has illustrations by Golden Age Airboy artist Fred Keita. Got one by Steve Lealoha and one by Larry Elmore. I'll put a few of these up on imthegun.blogspot.com for you to review. All right, the second issue, second chapter called Capture, picks right up where the first left off. Val tries reaching for a nearby rifle, but Steel Fox stomps on her foot and shows a couple of his metal arms abilities. He bends the rifle, showing its great strength, and then gives Val a little electric zap that knocks her out. She awakens in a padded cell in Moscow, dressed in her Valkyrie uniform, open blouse shirt and jodhpurs, and under remote surveillance by a steel fox. He explains through a speaker the Soviets' charges against her. Val's being accused of leading a terror bombing flight of the Russian town of Lubov in 1944, killing dozens of children. Valkyrie protests her innocence, claiming never to have undertaken any bombing missions other than against military targets. This protest goes unheard, though, as Steel Fox orders Valkyrie kept under constant surveillance. The U.S. ambassador to Russia somehow finds out about this situation. And the ambassador is a Ms. Sylvia Lawton, who also happens to have been an American fighter ace herself in the old Hillman comics days, named Black Angel. She threatens her way into a visit with the prisoner, along with her aide, Holly. Valkyrie immediately recognizes her old friend from World War II, and calls, calling her Black Angel, despite Sylvia having aged 40 years, and Val gets to tell her her side of the story. Before leaving, Sylvia agrees to serve as Val's defense attorney, and as the visitors depart, Holly, Sylvia's attaché, has only one question. Who's Black Angel? Steel Fox, later, is given one final opportunity to force a confession from Valkyrie before a trial, and this he fails to do as Val continues to profess her innocence. 
But what does come out is that Steel Fox was one of the children who survived the bombing of Lubov, which explains his deep, deep interest in this case. He threatens that before this is all over, Val will cry for mercy. In Sylvia Lawton's office, the ambassador and Holly review available evidence for the case, and because Holly's curious, and because I guess it just happened to be lying around, Sylvia shows Holly her old Black Angel costume, skin-tight purple leotard, flared collar, cuffed high heel boots, and a skull-cap hood with little Captain America-like wings protruding from the forehead. Holly is so infatuated with this part of Sylvia's life that she jumps at the chance to try the outfit on when offered. It fits her like a glove, and the, this little cosplay gives her an idea how a, a new Black Angel could help with their case. Sylvia is desperate to have one of Valkyrie's old flying partners, one of the Air Maidens, testify on her behalf. But with so little time to procure this witness, who happens to reside in East Germany, through the normal diplomatic means, Holly offers to slip behind communist lines, free from diplomatic baggage in the guise of a costumed adventurer, who we all know don't necessarily subscribe to the same niceties as most normal folk. Holly rattles off her qualifications to a skeptical Sylvia. She's got a thousand hours solo flying time, black belt in karate, and... She's a crack pistol shot. And also, most important to Holly, I think, for the first time ever, the Black Angel would actually be black. And Sylvia can't argue with this. <laughs> Meanwhile, the next time Val's brought a meal in prison, she uses the opportunity to attack the guard and escape her cell. She manages to commandeer a truck, but before she can leave the compound, a steel fist <laughs> comes out of nowhere and smashes the windshield kind of a frightening moment. Cinematic. Steel Fox, who confesses he'd been hoping for an attempt like this, causes Val to run off the road and takes her back into custody. As this is going down, the issue's final scene in a Dresden apartment, elderly Anna Malmond receives a visitor. She's startled by the shadowed silhouette she recognizes as the Black Angel. Of course, it's not the same Black Angel from her old flying days, but this new angel asks for Anna's help, saying an old friend needs her. That's the end of chapter two. This issue's pinups are by Brian Bolland, Brent Anderson, who would go on to illustrate a second Valkyrie miniseries about a year or so after this one, and William Stout. Chapter three, called Trial, opens with a horrifying dream Valkyrie's having in her cell, which may or may not be induced by the spooky misery, the supernatural being who's been collecting dead pilots for decades and who had kept Valkyrie comatose for 40 years. Val cries out and these cries are observed by Steel Fox and another Soviet official who expresses concern over how personal this situation seems to be taken by the Steel One. Steel Fox ignores this and rapidly rants how Valkyrie will hang Back in Anna Malman's apartment, the old air maiden needs some... She needs some convincing. Like everyone else, she can't believe Valkyrie's still around and... appears so young. She also realizes that if her own Nazi involvement were exposed, it would... It would mean some prison time for her. The new Black Angel is prepared to arrange for American citizenship for Anna. 
and protection in exchange for a testimony. And this pushes Anna over the edge. She agrees to do it, and it's just in time for some uninvited visitors, some more uninvited visitors, I should say. Some uniformed Soviet soldiers arrive to arrest Holly, but she gets to put that black belt to use and knocks out two of them while Anna cracks a teapot over the head of the last one. The trial of Valkyrie begins the next day, and prosecution produced some pretty convincing evidence, film footage of the air maidens returning from the Lubav bombing and an apparently triumphant Valkyrie being greeted by high-ranking Nazi officials post-mission. Sylvia counters with about a ream of documentation detailing Valkyrie's Nazi activity, all of which occurs before the Lubav massacre. By the time of this incident, Valkyrie had already defected, and to this point, that's the crux of their case. Just before court recess, Steel Fox takes the stand and claims to have seen Valkyrie in the cockpit of a plane flying low along the tree line during the attack. Mind you, he was six years old at the time. It's kind of thin testimony, but in this kangaroo court it seems to be just another nail in Val's coffin. Holly arrives with Anna during this recess, and the defense team speaks among themselves. Despite Anna's willingness to testify, Val's confidence kind of flags, and uh, she almost reaches a level of acceptance that she's now about to pay for not the specific charges, but for her life as a Nazi ace. And the ex she, she did commit back in those days. When the trial resumes, Anna takes the stand, and this former pilot has one last bombshell to drop. She actually confesses to being the pilot who led the Lubav attack. This shocks everyone in the courtroom, including the defense team. Anna then details her story. The defection of Valkyrie back in 1943 had left a huge hole in the Nazi forces. In an act of sophisticated propaganda, it was decided to promote one of the air maidens to squad leader, but to dress her up like Valkyrie and even have her wear a black wig. It was Anna who was chosen to fill the role of substitute Valkyrie. It was Anna who led the raid on Lubav, which led to the deaths of dozens of children, and it's been Anna who's had a hard time living with her own actions for 40 years. Steel Fox, who has a hard time letting go, apparently, refuses to accept this turn of events, but Sylvia puts him in his place, and Anna is taken into custody. The trial of Valkyrie is over. In an airport, Val, Sylvia, and Holly say their goodbyes. They discuss Anna's imprisonment and the Soviets' embarrassment that the Lubav bomber had been living under their noses all this time. A quiet sentence in a remote gulag is what they expect is in store for Anna. Val expects it to take some time to adjust to the new sense of freedom she feels, and Sylvia asks her to take good care of Holly. As uh, Holly stepping out as the new black angel has put her on the KGB's radar, and it wouldn't be appropriate for her to serve as the U.S. ambassador to Russia's attaché any longer. 
As a parting gift, Sylvia hands over the Black Angel costume for good. Holly plans to visit some family in the States and asks Val if she has anyone she's looking forward to seeing, and uh, we suspect she might as Val sees an image of the young airboy in the clouds. There's a chilling epilogue as we see Anna in her cell, head in hands, obviously dealing hard with this stirred-up grief and regret. She's visited by Misery, who seems to de-age her as he simultaneously reaches out to claim her. He asks her to come willingly to wherever it is he stores the souls of dead pilots, as there are those she knows waiting for her. And as they fade from the cell, we're shown the dangling legs of the former Anna Melman. Valkyrie pinups this time out were by Bruce Jones, Tim Truman, and Bo Hampton with inks by Tom Yates. Alright, so the Valkyrie series was a really nice slice, I think, of Cold War comics goodness. Had a little bit of everything. Action, adventure, intrigue, little courtroom drama, and uh, good characterization. Bad guys you love to hate, and a former bad girl you love to love, and the debut of a new kick-ass heroine. From the Airboy comics I've read, this seems to be the kind of stuff Chuck Dixon enjoyed writing and in which he excelled. Really nice balance of action and characterization. I think one of the criticisms I have of the Airboy series, and kind of carries over to this too, is that the main character almost gets short shrift with characterization and sort of everyone around them sparkles. And I'd say that's true for for the Valkyrie series. I think Valkyrie shines in the Airboy title, yet in her own title it seems everyone else, Steel Fox, Holly, uh, I think they kind of get the best character moments. The Gulesi-Bleiberg team was more than an appropriate choice for the series. The only thing dating this art at all, and I kind of wanted to mention this before, was Valkyrie's hairstyle. Definitely left me wanting more Air Maidens action from this creative team. It wasn't to be, of course, but uh, some other fine artists would get a crack at Valkyrie, a couple of one-shots right around the corner, and and, uh, in the Airboy title. All right, well, I think I've taken up enough of your time for now, so till next we meet, keep them flying. (laughs) 